Welcome to Beyond the Expert, a production of Gorecom in which we speak with small cap investors and experts about what they're seeing in the markets. Today, we welcome back venture capitalist Lee Hughes. Uh, most of you know us for Beyond the Press Release, where we tell the stories from the side of small cap companies. But Beyond the Expert tells these stories from the perspective of experts uh, in the small cap space. And given his great track record and recent big success of many over the last 12, 18 months, we couldn't think of anyone better to start off investing season uh, than Lee Hughes, who we've had on before. For those of you new, who, who are seeing Lee for the first time, he's a venture capitalist who I personally watch conduct incredible due diligence to discover and invest in almost unknown small cap companies that have generated some pretty incredible returns over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, Lee is so good at what he does that many global private equity funds and institutions will not only take his call, but they'll oftentimes follow him into investments that he chooses to make. Uh, moreover, he serves as an advisor to several small cap companies. So if you ever want to truly learn uh, about how to become a great small cap investor, it doesn't get much better than this. Lee, after a long summer, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, mate. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Summer, we're, all, we're past summer, not the official season, but, you know, the unofficial yeah. Labor Day and all that. And I want to talk to you about the small cap summer that we had, investing season that's now begun, and some of your favorite you know, uh, spaces and companies. But let's talk about the summer. Um, it was a bit of a tough one. Why do you think the summer was so tough on small caps after we had a screaming Q1? Mm. Well, I know that we've spoken about a few theories, but uh, I think more importantly, um, I think I think community needed a break, George. Uh, you know, last year and probably Q4 of the year before, you know, the, the banking hubs were forced to work. I guess they were, they were forced to change. They were stuck in their homes. They weren't able to actually go and take their families for a break. I really found that, you know, once summer came and it gave the banking community to, you know, I guess for the market to reopen, to understand that they can all go and have a holiday and actually take their families and actually take a yeah, very well-earned break. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess people were sort of saying, you know, what's going on in summer? People were spoiled. We were all spoiled last year in summer. You know, the market never really changed. Sell in May, go away, didn't really happen. Uh, financing, financings continued. Businesses started to grow. They were marketing their businesses. You know, this year, I think people just wanted to close the laptops and turn the computers off and, and go and get go to their summer cabins and dust off the shelves that they couldn't do last year and, and go and get a break. I was lucky enough to be in Ohio a couple of weeks ago and people still weren't back. Uh, I, I, you know, Labor Day just ended. People are obviously starting to come back now, but I was actually quite buoyant when I went to Toronto too because I didn't really know to, what to expect. But those that were back were really... I guess, refreshed and re-energized and we're really buoyant about, you know, the back half of this year actually being, you know, another ripper like it was last year and, you know, financing to continue to, you know, help build these companies and obviously market and, and see things grow. But, you know, death by a thousand cuts for some of the small caps, I think, over summer. But, you know, low volumes, you saw low volumes. You know, companies were still trying to market themselves and push press releases out. But I think, you know, we just didn't experience the summer that we experienced last year because we were so spoiled. But we I mean, that's there's a couple of theories, but yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I think people just were burnt out, they were tired, and they 
and to enjoy the summer. Yeah, I took, look, I took 17 days off, and I normally don't take that long. I took 17 days off because we had been going, and I'm sure you're the same way, full blast since yeah. Q1 and then COVID, and then right through the summer, right through Q4, unbelievable Q1, pretty good Q2, and then I think everyone started burning out and saying, yeah, I need some time off because I can't keep going like this. Uh, so do you agree that it's more of a, a short-term issue and not a long-term structural problem? Look, I think so. But again, you know, there's still that instability and volatility in, you know, a lot of macro, if you want to look at macroeconomics uh, globally, there's still a lot of, uh, well, like I said, instability and volatility. And you can, you can go down a rabbit hole in, in a number of different aspects when you, if you wanted to talk that um, side of, of it. But um, like I said, I think I think pain the pain was temporary, and, and I can see that the, the real companies are now starting to get to work. One of the things I will say too is that you know companies also need to be able to take a bit of a breather. You know, the CEOs, directors, management, C-level management, they've been working their butts off a lot of these companies, and you sometimes need to give them a little bit of a, a leg rope to actually get some get some uh, time for themselves with their families and whatnot too. So. And at the end of the day, too, I think it also allows the companies to actually, you know, get granular internally and work on their strategies and reflect back versus pressing and pressing and pressing. Uh, I know some of the companies that I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to work intimately with um, have really focused on the last three to four months of just building their businesses and, and looking at what 2022 and 2023 looks like strategically. Um, you know, are they re they're reflecting back onto their visions and, and also just personnel. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's a healthy balance that we need to respect for these small cap companies that don't have the luxury of having these endless pots of gold, i.e. cash or capital, uh, to be able to build their company. Yeah, so I, I think as investors, we've been, like I said, I think we've been very, very, very uh, fortunate um, and spoiled for what we've seen in the last 18 to 24 months. Uh, and, you know, I, I think respectfully, we just need to make sure that we, we, we sit back and allow the businesses to do what they need to do. Uh, devil's advocate. Um, one factor, right. And I don't know if there's a correlation. That's why you're the small, you're the expert. Um, NFTs, crypto were scalding hot uh, this summer. Unbelievable. I know from my own uh, my own kids, all that, who uh, believe, who have made unbelievable amounts of money. Um, any chance that we're seeing a bit of a, a, a structural shift where young people may be leaving small cap markets for the fast moving NFT crypto yeah. world? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, they're, they're two sectors that I'm not necessarily um, uh, very, uh, very educated in, to be honest with you, uh, especially crypto, but you know, certainly from afar, I'm seeing some of these, some of these things just do uh, crazy moonshots, if you want to call it, uh, in such a short period of time. And you could be exactly right there, George. Um, you know, if you look look at how Robin Hood really changed the way where we're trading and uh, you know access to be able to uh, invest in some of these companies. You know, a lot of them are kids. A lot of them, these kids have access, have the access now. So. I think you, you probably are right. And like I said, I, I think respectfully, we just need to need to take a step back and, and look at what is a healthy, a healthy mix of 
you know, allowing these small cap companies to actually be able to build their businesses with a little bit less of a hype train attached to them or expectation. Um, but I think you could be right. NFTs, I mean, wow, some of these, some of these companies and I mean, I think you could, I think I saw something last week where someone bought a rock, a pet rock or something and sold it the next day <laughs> for 10 times their money. And I'm just like, wow, okay. 10 times nothing, man. I've seen 70, 100, 200 there you go. <laughs> with massive volume. But listen, it's a small competition, but I just want to kind of bring that up as a, but let's talk yeah. about the fact that investing season has now begun. And for me, yeah, investing season is always the first Monday after Labor Day. Why? Labor Day comes on a Monday, everyone's back. Kids are starting school on Tuesday. Everyone's getting settled in. So even that week, even though everyone's home, is still a little bit jumbled up. Uh, but you know, here we are. This is the first week of, uh, of first first true investing week for investing season. What do yep. you see in the next eight to nine months until you know May June comes around? What what's your what's do you have a thesis that you're starting to create or you're still forming it? Well. I guess, I'll, again, I'll reflect back to, you know, uh, being able to be in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. I'm in Montreal at the moment. Um, and I think there's certainly smart capital to be deployed. Uh, I got to to meet a lot of Bay Street um, after not being able to be there for two years, of course. Um, we've all been you know, stuck in our provinces. And I was amazed how many deals are going across the desk and actually getting financed in, in from, from the mining space to obviously disruptive tech. Biotech still has a plethora of interest. Um, I mean, fintech's been, been great. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, businesses mature and, and look at upping uh, down under the NASDAQ in the US, as an example. Uh, I think smart, man, smart money will, will continue to, to be deployed uh, you know, interestingly, we saw even, you know, quite some significant M&A activity occur over the summer. Uh, I mean, you know, this sports betting and gaming and, and esports spaces has really no. started to, to capture the attention of, you know, major money institutions, private equity. I mean, we saw the, 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 the score, score, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth there. So, like I said, I think smart money is, is still there to be deployed. You're going to see some risk capital also, uh, I think, you know, continue to be deployed. But some of those businesses that have really hit their milestones over the last 12 months, I think will still be able to go to the marketplace and, 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 and raise capital. And that's just from what I'm hearing. Um, but I think, you know, some of the businesses that might not necessarily have hit the mark or if you look, lift up the hood and, and there might not be as much in there will be a little bit of struggle or they might need to to be a little bit more patient as well and, and maybe build their businesses a little bit differently but uh like i said i think for sure there's smart money to be deployed uh there was some significant financings that took place over the summer george as well going into the summer um and i mean you you i'm sure you've seen that as well so of course i, I think it's a pretty exciting q3 and q4 so speaking of sectors because you're touching on a couple there what are the sectors that you like? And okay, the first one, let's talk about that. It sounds like iGaming, which is online gambling, esports, which which has a connection. That sounds like one sector. Uh, let's talk about that sector and maybe what you like in there. Yeah, well, the score, look, the score um, acquisition in summer, I think was 
exactly what the the pointy end of the of, of the smart money was looking was looking for. They're looking at an acquisition like that uh, institutionally for sure, and even you know in the private world, you know that acquisition was significant. That really did give, I think, um, credibility to these businesses that not aren't necessarily making you know big revenue numbers, but and they're more uh, focused on consumer acquisition. You know, a little bit like what Facebook was when it very first started. It was all about just eyeballs, 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 you know, connect points, connect points, connect points with, with those eyeballs. Score um, has a lot of those and got bought for, you know, uh, you know a few billion dollars. So uh, I think that really did give the sector uh, some credibility uh, and in particular between Canada and the US as well. I think, I think that shows that there's, um, deals that can be done. I think, and it, I think it also Canada. shows, Lee, that it's no longer space just dominated by Caesars, Wynn, yeah. Sands, and all the traditional guys. I think that busted open the concept of, holy smokes, this online iGaming gambling market is going to grow exponential, and there's a lot of room for smaller, smart, nimble players, right? I agree. I agree. And, you know, like I've said this before, Canada is just fantastic for incubating um, new spaces. You know, uh, the esports iGaming here in Canada, you could argue, is, is clearly a disruptive space. Um, Canada is amazing at, at, at being first. You talk about cannabis, you talk about blockchain. Cannabis, uh, you know, has been... Uh, a space that Canada really did dominate early on. But if you look at it now, you've got Canadian and US companies coming together. They're doing deals. It's taken a long time for that to occur. But, um, you know, it didn't take very long for that to occur in, in this space when you think about um, iGaming, uh, sports betting. I mean, it, that score deal was was serious and it's uh, it hasn't really matured as a space or a sector yet. So... I think that's a really interesting space. I think that's one worth following um, closely. I certainly am. I've been um, over the summer really trying to sort of wrap my head around the the how do you really monetize these different companies and the assets that they um, that they control and and then obviously value them and. To then see some institutions get involved, and then you you really start to see the smart analysts rip apart and put them back together. Now that they have a little bit of quantum to work with, I think is is awesome. You know, for Canada, um, you know, you've seen uh, fans unite. Um, you know, in Black Tema Green Solutions. Full disclosure. Yeah, I love that company because they Tema got a Solutions. B2B and a B two C side. They got a UK licensing. They're hitting it out of the park. Right. Great, yeah, uh, you know, and in what is it? Uh, Luckbox. Um, you've got uh, Fans Unite. You've got Intema Solutions. And full disclosure as well. I'm, I'm an advisor to those guys, and I think they're going to do exceptionally well. But then, you know, you're going to see there's there's a few private ones coming that are going to be coming public soon, which I'm watching pretty closely. I think there's Wonder Gaming who are sort of capturing the NFT side of things and stuff. So there are some really interesting Canadian uh, names that I think will. Um, hopefully disrupt a little bit more and, and, and make that space a little bit more of an, a, of an investor's uh, paradise for, for gains moving forward. Um, but of course, most of those names, as we all know, were hit by that death by a thousand cuts summer that we've just had as well. So if you think about it, 
know, there might be some good buying opportunities there to, you know, when these companies do go and promote themselves and start raising a little bit of money and actually getting real deals done to, 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 to be a good name or a good pick for some investors to get involved in. Let's talk a little bit about Intema, if you can. Stock is halted because they're in the middle of a, a major acquisition. Um, what, are, what, if anything, are you able to, to tell us about how things are going at Intema as they wait for the acquisition to close and then have, because it's such a big, such a big acquisition, yeah. the venture said, yeah. let's, let's halt the stock, get the acquisition done, and then move forward. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, again, full disclosure, you know, I'm a, I'm a board advisor to, to the team there and, and I'm sitting in Montreal at the moment and, and have been able to spend some really good quality time with, with, with management, with C-level management. Um, again, I mean, those guys have just been, I mean, their bums have been on the seats all summer. They've been working their butts off. Uh, this loop.bet acquisition, the more I learn about it, the more I understand it, is a serious acquisition, uh, you know, Getting handle of you know ninety plus million dollars with an NGR of you know five million dollars already in the tank, and you know five years of financials. I mean that gets me pretty excited because it actually starts to give some credibility to the numbers and the fundamental side of, of what they've been able to um, work on. I mean I know that they're going through the pointy end of due diligence now on that acquisition, which I'm sure Laurent Pinez, with the CEOs, probably told you as well. Um, and also the pointy end of the financing, they just closed their first tranche. Um, you know, uh, now that the, the banking community is, is awake and back to work, I know that there's been some pretty interesting um, connect points there between the financing and that community. So, I mean, I, I can't really step over the mark and I hate jumping on anyone's parade, especially no, management. No, no, but, but good to get but, up there. Um, you know, look, look, one thing I will say is that I think that business is again going to, to give the, the space in Canada some really good uh, fundamental metrics to measure the space on. And um, I mean, I, I've been really, really fortunate to have you know, seen these guys in action. I mean, look at their board that they've been appointing. Um, I mean, it is pretty impressive. So I think, I think Q3, Q4 for Intema is going to be a pretty exciting time. And, you know, 2022 is a, is a, is a completely different ballgame. Again, if you have a look at, their decks on their website. If you have a look at what they're estimating for 2022, which you, I think I can be quite confident to say that estimation is real because they've got real numbers. Uh, it's it, there's you know if you start looking at valuations and and peers and comparables and whatnot, you know, let the investor community do their work. But um, it, it could be a good one for people to look at. We. Couldn't have a conversation without talking about Peak Fintech. And you uh, and your partner and your partner, uh, Marty, uh, discovered the company at, um, you know, two cents. And I know this before I went through a bit of a reverse split or whatever the case was back then. Yeah. But you discovered it. You did your due diligence. You backed it. You put your money where your mouth was and no one else was even looking at it. And less, less than a week ago, they uplisted the NASDAQ. Um, first of all, how great does it feel to have a thesis come through like that? Um, and, and what other, you know, what, what else are you looking for out of peak FinTech now that it's cashed up on the NASDAQ and just yeah. making acquisitions? It's, it's where do you see the next two or three years? Because I know people like to look at tick by tick, but, cool. you know, 
guys like you and I, we like to look over the next two, three years. I'm not talking yeah. about stock price, but I'm just talking about how the how that company is going to evolve. Look, look at their forward guidance. I mean, their forward guidance in their numbers for 2022 to 2024 or five, I think their numbers have come out for from a forward, a forward guidance standpoint are at a whole nother level. Um, you know, when I first met with the, with the team in at late Q1 last year, um, they were, they were, they were a bit stranded. They were a little bit stuck in the mud, as we like to say in Australia. And um, they needed a little bit of love. And I think they needed to sort of clean slate of their investor base at the time. I know some of, some of not all the investors probably ran for, ran for cover and, and exited the station. Some of those that stayed, I mean, you know, amazing to them and, and, and well done. I think the term is diamond hands here in Canada, isn't it? That's sort of come through. So some of those with diamond hands have done exceptionally well. Um, but look, you know, I will say that when I first met with the CEO, um, you know, when I did, his, his vision was extremely, extremely aggressive. Um, of course, COVID hit. And then, of course, the communication between Canada and China, which is obviously where most of their ops is, became a challenge. So, you know, he was sitting in his office in COVID. So was I, we you could hardly travel. I think there was five people in the plane when I traveled, um, you know, and we were sitting from afar and he was showing me the numbers and it was, it literally was, it, it looked like it was too good to be true. And, and when you sort of coming in there as a, a fresh eyes, um, you know, FinTech for me being, you know, uh, growing up in Australia and, and cutting some of my corporate cloth there is quite close to Asia. So I had some tools and resources available that I could lean on when, you know, constructing some due diligence, you know, uh, that of guys that were covering Ant out of Singapore at the time um, and knew China very, very well. And, um, you know, in the eyes, well, in the eyes of them having a look from afar, they were like, listen, like regulate the regulatory environment in China is becoming a little bit more favorable for, you know, the, the SM, side of the of the business um world down in china and you know at, at, i think it was you know it was a two cent stock rolled it forward to 20 and then we did the financing now it was a, a very cheap stock uh, in their eyes you know look take a little bit of a punt but i'm going to tell you i mean full disclosure in, not in my eyes did i see that it was going to perform the way it did um it's a not testament to fast, the management because because it's unbelievable no. fast that, that business testament works. Testament to management. I mean, management have, have, have really executed, I mean, over-delivered for shareholders and I'm sure themselves as well. I know that um, management is, is, is very chuffed with, with how they've gone. But, you know, NASDAQ is a, is a different, it is a different beast. Um, they're talking about Hong Kong as well, I believe, uh, as well as a, as a market for listing. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to continue to execute. They've sort of opened up their, their Kimura for investors, uh, but also for you know, um, analysts to, to get technical with them too. So, you know, I don't think they underestimate the challenge that they have ahead, but I really do feel that when they start actually now, I mean, they've just become profitable. They've just over exceeded their last quarter. I mean, you've seen the numbers by a long way. If they can continue to do that for their next quarter and their quarter after, I mean, I don't think you really need to be a rocket scientist to see that maybe where it's at right now is still, got room to move so best of luck to everyone that's invested in in the company that's is um along for the ride and and also to management so you know there are a lot of diamond the roughs here in canada i i certainly have seen that um you know you cover a lot of other names that have done just amazing uh in terms of growth 
in a short period of time. And, you know, let's hope we see some more of that. Before we cut out, any um, any names that you think we should start taking a look at at home, doing due diligence? Again, you're not giving financial advice. You're not giving a buy no. recommendation, but or is or or you still kind of pruning that list because you're back? You want to see who's been beat up, who's a great business, and where the value is, or or do you have a couple of names that you like? Um, you know, not necessarily individual names, but certainly. Um, Certainly going into the trying to really, you know, pull apart and, and, and put back together the biotech space. Um, Canada's got some, like I said, I think Canada's been able to really open up the biotech space because of COVID over the last 18 to 24 months. Shareholders have got a little bit more sophisticated. Companies have got access to capital. Um, and I would be very surprised if we don't see some good runners come in q3 q4 i've uh, been able to have a look at some pretty interesting private plays in this in, in that category which um i'm sure we can talk about soon uh but you know i, I actually was i was actually fortunate enough to have a chat with the ceo of um one of your other clients actually control um control of course paul gazi control technology yeah 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 uh and i'd never i'd never took a position in them before that uh i saw that they'd been beaten up a little bit, which isn't unusual if you're a biotech stock. I mean, you go through the tribes and tribulations of, you know, the length of time that it takes the science to really uh, prove itself uh, like, like a mining company. You know, you can't, you can't rush the drill bit and, and obviously you can't rush uh, the technical analysis of what comes out of the ground too. But, you know, Summer has probably not been so kind to a lot of those biotech names, but I was, I was really impressed with, with him his, his approach, his strategy, uh, the business, the business model. And I was quite surprised to, to, to learn how actually long that business has been around and, and how long their vision has been um, around as well. So I really did, uh, was very impressed with him. K&R, um, for everyone who wants all the stocks. K&R, yeah. And I think they've actually had a little bit of a run. So again, I think they were, uh, you know, a little bit of a victim by a, a very flat summer. And, you know, now that they're starting to, you know, prove their tech and, and actually get some, some runs on the board with contracts and things like that, it'll be an exciting time. But, you know, like, I really do find that, uh, that Canada, because it has been an underachiever in the biotech category, you know, for the last, I don't know, George, let's just say five to 10 years, probably, um, investors are still learning. Investors are still learning about, you know, the life cycle, uh, the pipelines, how, how, how the product pipelines can shift and shift, continue to shift because science hasn't worked or, or, or management have, have just not hit the mark on, on one of their products in their pipeline. I mean, these things happen all the time, you know, um, but, you know, I, I think we're going to have another discussion about biotech, but I, I'm really buoyant for that space. I like that space, obviously, personally, myself too, because it's been yeah, a good one. Biotech's but... never been big in Canada. It just hasn't been. No. It's home of the NASDAQ, but it seems like there's some good biotech companies that have flourished here and then head over the NASDAQ. So people are starting to realize maybe we should buy these in advance before they graduate to the NASDAQ. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and like I said, you know, well, like we were saying earlier, there's, there's certainly been some names that have, that have come off um, over the last, three to six months, uh, call it what you will, whether it's summer or whether it's just through performance. 
um, and they've had to you know reorient their strategy. I think we need to be watching some some names closely, and I'm I'm sure we're going to have another discussion about them. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the next couple of quarters, my friend. Well, welcome back. Glad to have you back. Glad that we're all kind of back in the saddle. I know you never really went away mentally, but we all kind of went away physically and took some time off um, and cleared our head a little bit. But great to have you back. And I know we're going to do Thanks, this George. every two to three weeks. There's going to be so much going on. So uh, for everybody watching at home, make sure you keep tuning in when we start talking about more and more specific names as, as investing season starts to hit its stride. That's it, mate. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and like I said, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate being on your platform and see you hitting that 10,000 Twitter follower mark, my friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, big uh, appreciate that. And uh, I'm, all the help that you've given as part of that's been great because you're a big supporter. And for everybody who's watching, we definitely appreciate that. And uh, more to come, that's for sure. But Lee, thanks for joining us, buddy. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. For everybody at home, you've been watching Lee Hughes. He's our Beyond the Expert today. Uh, if you want to follow him, you can see him right there. You can see his Twitter handle right, right beside him. Make sure you follow him because uh, he's got fantastic information, fantastic insight, uh, quite often first to the table. And uh, in the small cap world, that's, what you want. that's where you want to be. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. See you next time. Hey guys, this video is over, but don't forget to help your company by liking it and even leaving a comment below. And then don't forget to help yourself by subscribing to our channel and never missing another great Agoracom small cap video.